Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 78 of Smart Enough to Know Better, a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I am Gregoire. And I'm Dan Beeston. Getting confusing now, we're back and forth. Different voices. And this is episode 78. That's a long way. And so, but we've actually done a lot more than 78. We did some weird, weird numbering at the start. And therefore people go, huh, whatever, 78, like it's it's hundreds. We've done many. Yeah, well, uh, integers are for suckers. That's a, that's a, I'm an irrational man and irrational numbers are my thing. <laughs> I have something to mention. Yeah, go Science on. is not a voting sport. No. I, no. I, I, it, it's based on the facts. And why I'm bringing this up is because... There was a debate recently at Harvard University from experts, and they are experts in the field, discussing Pluto and whether it's a planet or not. Oh, okay. How'd that get on? I switched it on. Can I? Because what's going to come through the thing? I know. I'm sorry. Please start again. No, no, no. Go on. <laughs> I'm not letting you get away with that. Put a freaking oscillating fan on while I'm trying to have a nice silent room. Do you know not not know what oscillating means? Actually, I don't know what oscillating means in this. Uh, I don't know what it's doing. It's, it's something for next it's, podcast. It's not an oscillating fan. Oscillating ones that do that. All right. That's just a fan. Do that. Uh, do what? Do because that. That's fantastic. That's working really. That's explained really well on an audio <laughs> podcast. Well, he's all, so, he's all bitchy today. I was halfway through a conversation. But I don't start again. So, voting. Science is not a voting sport. No. And I mean that in the term of Pluto and the Harvard University experts, and they are experts. The dwarf planet. The dwarf planet. It is a dwarf planet. The exactly plutoid. Right. The plutoid. And this thing, people in 2006, it was decided that actually, if we call Pluto a planet, go quickly, very through it, a planet was defined by the International Astronomical U- uh, Union that it, a planet has to go... Those motherfuckers. <laughs> We don't mind them. They, they said we could call Chad Chad. It's yeah, fine. But, yeah, they wrote back to us. I'm actually quite impressed by that. Right. And Colin as well. They, they they're happy about well, happy for us to call it Colin Colin. So mm-hmm. you know that's all good. Anyway, a planet has to go around the sun. A planet has to be in hydrostatic equilibrium. Has to be enough gravity to pull itself into a ball, and it has to have cleared out its orbit. Mm-hmm. And people complained and bitched and moaned, and they said, "Well, is Pluto a planet?" Under that definition, no. It's a we call it a dwarf planet. Mm-hmm. And people said, well, but if you took the Earth from where it is now and put it out where Pluto is, it wouldn't clear its orbit either. Therefore, Pluto, so Earth wouldn't be a planet. And my answer is, that's right. Exactly right. The position of a planet makes it, it, it changes. It makes a difference. Mm-hmm. We have definitions for a reason. It makes my brain happy. Now, people argued, and it's not as if uh, people argued Harvard University, they have a debate basically whether or not Pluto should be considered a planet. And they argued back and forth. And in the end, they let the audience decide the paying public to vote. Those idiots. That's right. <laughs> but not, not you, listeners. You're wonderful. I'm sure you would have voted the no, right No, no, hang on. No, no, no. no, no. no, they, no. they may not have. They will. Look, Pluto's not a planet. By the definition, they, didn't, they haven't changed... They haven't changed the definition of a planet. They just went, we liked a conversation where the nice man said Pluto was a planet, therefore we'll vote on it. <sighs> and you go, that's not democracy. That's an ochlocracy. That's mob rule. And science is not mob rule. Pluto is a dwarf planet. Until the body that we've decided makes this decision, the International Astronomical Union, changes the definition. It's still a bloody planet. No, it's not. It's still a bloody dwarf planet. I get confused there for a moment. Otherwise, we've got to accept Eris is a planet and Mackie Mackie is a planet mm. and Haume is a planet. All these things are... Pla- we have, how many planets we got out there? Really? 
like many. Eight. Many, but we have, we have exactly right. Dan. Eight. We have eight. Thank you. Well, seven and this one that we're on. What's a planet? Yeah, but it's not out there. It's right here. Well, it's, it's like it's right here. I'm pressed up against it. <laughs> we're still out there. I, if you count me as in there and everything else out there, it's out there. Okay. Well, we can't even just figure out where we, what in and out is. I think we're in trouble <laughs> if we're trying to define what a planet is. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Dr. David Steen. Thank you. Excellent. Glad I got your name right? Is that correct? It was perfect. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, David Steen is uh, actually the person who created the monster. So that's... <laughs> that, is that... He's probably never heard of that. That's a, wow. That's a really tortured... It's okay. <laughs> because of all the, the bad publicity, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. And before we insult our guests <laughs> anymore, uh, Dr. Steen, uh, what do you actually do? Where do you come from and what are you an expert in? Well, I come from New York originally, but I'm in Auburn University, Auburn, Alabama right now. I'm a wildlife ecologist. I study wildlife ecology and conservation biology. I study how wildlife populations persist on the landscape and how human activity is affecting those populations. You've already answered my first question, which is why would anyone move from New York to Alabama? It's like, oh, not a lot of wildlife in New York. Rats, big rats. Yeah, not a rat. Crocodiles in the sewers. (laughs) Yeah, you name it. Uh, New York has a bad rap. I'm actually from about 45 minutes outside the city. It's a really forested area with cool things like timber rattlesnakes, black bears, you name it. 45 minutes minutes from New York City, there are black bears and and rattlesnakes. Sorry, uh, absolutely. Wow, okay. Yeah, but I I do study cold-blooded creatures like amphibians and reptiles, and the southern U.S. is the place to be for that, so I found my way down here. Into the swamplands of Alabama. I don't know anything about Alabama, I just realized. All I know about Alabama is a, a single song about a banjo being on someone's knee. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. We're ignorant Australians. It's quite, it's quite embarrassing, I just realized. But anyway, so, so you work with, you work with uh, tortoises and turtles? Yeah, there is a tortoise that's endemic to the southeastern United States called the gopher tortoise. It's really rare. People used to eat them, but they're making a comeback, hopefully. Yeah, that's one, one of the species that I spent some time on. Oh, cool. okay. Have you ever tasted? Tortoise? Uh, yes, yes. You, you can tell us. See, no, no one's listening. You can tell it's us. It's just us here, right? It's yeah, just no, us. I, I actually haven't. Lots of people <laughs> used to eat them during the Depression. They were called Hoover chickens because President Hoover was the president <laughs> at the time. And, and that's how a lot of rural folks made it through the day, eating tortoises. Eating tortoises. There you go. There you... So how are the tortoises and the snakes, the reptiles, down in Alabama? I mean, is, there, is it a big problem down there? Are they dying out? or? Yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag. You've got some species that are just not picky about what they eat or where they live. And those are the things like the garter snakes and the black racers. These are generalist animals. But then on the other hand, you have things like gopher tortoises, which have really specific habitat requirements. And those habitats are shrinking. That's the longleaf pine ecosystem. Mm-hmm. The indigo snake is another really rare species. It's federally threatened. North America's largest native snake, really docile. They were popular in the pet trade. People started collecting them. You need to burn their habitat to keep the shrubs out. We didn't do that. Crowded mm-hmm. them out. And they also live in gopher tortoise burrows. So when the gopher tortoises disappeared, so did the indigo snakes. Oh, okay. So it was a lack of fire that ruined their habitat. Yeah. Probably a few hundred years ago, the coastal plain of the southeastern United States was just this vast expanse of pine forest that burned probably once every two to five years because of lightning strikes. Mm, mm. Because it was a continuous forest, a lightning strike in North Carolina could burn all the way down through Georgia. 
And so that really constantly regenerated the forest. And we don't really have that anymore because the forests are fragmented. They're near development where you can't really burn. And uh, we keep trying to put trouble. them out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we go, oh, yeah that's well, not right. Everything's on fire. Quickly <laughs> doze, douse it with a lake. It's interesting. Are you familiar with Smokey the Bear? Oh, yes. Yeah. We know, yes, yes. Yeah. Only you can stop forest fires. Exactly. Uh-huh. That, that used to be the logo, but now they change it to only you can stop wildfires uh-huh. because people started to understand that forest fires were actually natural and beneficial. Was it like a counter campaign? Like, stuff it, stuff your face, Smokey. Ah, <laughs> oh, Smokey the Bear is wrong, everyone. Don't listen yes, to that stupid uh, bear. He doesn't yeah. wear pants. We we have the oh. same sort of forest or bushland. Yeah. Uh, like uh, gum trees require yes. it, and they they go off like a firecracker because mm. they're full of oil, quite explosive uh, oil. A lot of Australian, yeah, the plants require fire as well. But we, we sort of prevent the fires from breaking out and then suddenly a couple of years ago it all caught fire at the same time mm. and just blew up a part of the state yeah that's right yeah. Now, that's the big problem yeah so snakes as, as we go on to snakes so people are listening are like oh snakes i mean they're <laughs> they're they're nature's horror tube that's basically mm. it. they're the crawly and creepy crawlies yeah they, they really are they, they're 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 strong they're muscular they've got murder at one end and, and and basically they hide in your house and they leap out. Or they hide in planes. I've seen that documentary. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson had that whole documentary about snakes on a plane. I don't know what it was yeah, called. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I consulted for that. Yeah. <laughs> you consulted for that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I mean, it's, it's, are you a person who loves snakes to work with them? I think I like them in part because they're so misunderstood. Not by you folks. You, you summarized snakes perfectly well right there with <laughs> mm-hmm. the murder on one end. But mm-hmm. uh, they have such a bad <laughs> a, reputation. A murder tube. <laughs> oh, excuse me. But they're really fascinating animals. I mean, how can you make your way through the landscape eating prey, finding mates, surviving predators with no arms or legs? But they have done a great job. They've turned into this diverse group. But they're really understudied. We don't really understand really anything about them, let alone how to conserve them. So that's that's kind of fascinating for me. When I grew up, I was always fascinated in the creeping, crawling things. And somewhere along the way, I just managed to get starting to get paid for it so. <laughs> that's always it's good. a lot of fun so how yeah. how long have snakes been around are they are they an old species that's the that's the only shape they come in what around <laughs> oh, oh no, no. Oh. from the front oh the yes, no. Oh. Yeah. oh no right when do they evolve as the, the form that we see today well lizards and snakes are not that much different and snakes probably evolved off of the lizard group, and they just lost their legs along the way. So they're, they're a fairly old group. I don't have the, the figure off of the mm. top of my head, but closely related to lizards. Okay. And some lizards really blur the boundaries. Some lizards don't have any legs at all. Mm. Uh, so then it can be Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Now, so uh, now, do snakes also have hips? Like, if you look at a snake's skeleton, can you see where the legs used to be? Some snakes actually do have vestigial limbs. Oh. Uh, the boa, yeah, the boa constrictors, just the males will have little spurs on the back, with, which are their vestigial limbs. So there are remnants of them. You, oh, can, wow. you can't find evidence of, of what they used to be. I just realized the thing that would scare me more than a giant snake coming at me would be a giant <laughs> snake trying to give me a hug. Going, I love you, with these two muscular arms coming out the side. That, that, that's actually scarier than a snake with no limbs. That's awful. So, yeah, I'd be scared of that. <laughs> so they're basically one big tube of muscle, and yeah. and they get they can move remarkably quickly too for for a creature 
with no with no, no limbs. Yeah, they, they actually, and you think it, it would be simple. There's actually different ways that snakes can move depending on their species and how big they are. There's something called lateral undulation, which is just kind of the waving motion back and forth. There's something called rectilinear motion, which is kind of what the large snakes do. They just kind of creep along moving forward. Some snakes can even glide out of trees. So we don't give them a lot of credit, but there's actually a, a diversity of, of strategies these snakes can use to move around. When you say glide out of trees, do you mean they, they go very quickly down the, down the trunk? I actually mean that they can flatten out their body, they jump off the tree, and they can glide Oh. <laughs> it's yeah. a murder wing. A murder. Oh, that's great. That's what you want. So, so now I just start worrying about snakes coming in from head height, like coming out of the sun. Is that what you're saying? They, they, they attack at yeah. dusk. Oh. And they're shooting murder tude out of their eyes while they're gliding down. <laughs> He's the expert. You heard it here first. <laughs> the, the thing that shocked me, I, I went down I a bit. I went down a bit of a, a rabbit hole, a metaphoric rabbit hole. I was looking at constrictors because I'd always assumed that constrictors sneak up on stuff. And then they would like quietly sort of wind themselves around without you not noticing. And then they would start to like squeeze you. And then I watched some videos and that's not how it works at all. The constrictor sits there and the prey sits there. And of course it is a predator Mm. and it sits there and gets real still and then just goes snap. And suddenly it just goes boom and crushes it between itself and then winds itself around. And like the rabbit's like, "Ah, ah, ah, ah." Time to think about your life. And then it sits there for five minutes, squeezing the air out of it. And then after five minutes, you're like, oh, this is this is over. Suddenly the rabbit goes, "Ah, ah, ah, ah." I'm like, that's it, I'm out. Gonna watch videos of cats being eaten by snakes. Oh god, God, I do stop. So it's certainly terrible as described at least, but yeah, you will definitely know it if a snake decides to to go after you. It it won't be a secret. What's really cool is some recent research but some recent research shows that when the snakes have wrapped around you, they can actually tell when the heart stops beating and then that's their cue to relax. Oh, that means they couldn't kill Batman. Because he has he has no heart. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> You're very confused eating Doctor Who. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because Batman can can slow down his um, heart rate because he's he's taking control, so he can actually just slow down and like snake snake face wouldn't be able to know. I'll, I'll, I'm going to write a story about that. Yeah. yeah. But again, Batman defeats everything, even snakes. But okay, let's, in all seriousness, <laughs> pitching back on a bit of science here, not just Batman. Okay. Um, so just even one bit of science. So is he? So constrictors constrict. Some snakes are obviously venomous not poisonous uh-huh. are any snakes poisonous that's a good question do you know of any poisonous snakes as in if you eat them you die i do i do know of one and this is definitely probably the most common misconception about snakes but it's not a big deal people say they're poisonous mm-hmm. and that's as you hinted at that, that's kind of a misnomer poison is something you ingest and venom is something that's injected into you mm. so when the snakes bite you they're injecting their venom not their poison what but, if you eat venom does well, that, that, that it become kind of poisonous tricky. I, I think it does, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's kind of an, an asterisk there. <laughs> Take that, but, linguists. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a snake in Japan, really a fascinating animal. It eats poisonous toads, mm. and it kind of sequesters the poison that it eats and stores them in glands in the back of its head. And then it becomes actually poisonous to any predators. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It doesn't generate its own poison. It 
It He's... takes it from the toads it eats. <laughs> That'd be like me exuding nothing but McDonald's grease or something. Anyway, I, I don't even. It would McDonald's. be exactly like that. Exactly like that. Exactly right. Now, in my mind, you got venomous snakes and you have constrictors. Are they are they very different from each other? Are they? I mean, is, is it a? Are they are they physiologically very different, or are they just kind of a one simple mutation that sort of made them different? They've kind of got different strategies. You've got the venomous snakes and the pit vipers that I'm most familiar with. You guys have a lot of elapids, which are the coral snakes and the browns and all that stuff. But the pit vipers that I'm used to in the southeastern United States. They're they call sit and wait predators. So they'll just curl up on the side of a small mammal trail and wait for something to walk by. They'll hammer it, and then the animal will crawl off, presumably to die. And the venom starts working on the animal, digesting it from the inside. The snake will crawl around, follow it up, and just swallow it. Hopefully, it's dead at that time. <laughs> and the constrictors they tend to be a little bit more active predators. They will look for prey, chase it down, grab it with their mouth. And then, as we described before, quickly wrap up and, and constrict it. Um, so the physiology is different regards, regarding to the venom, but the, the process of eating the animals is pretty similar. Right. Okay. Now, you put on your Twitter handle. Twitter, sorry, Twitter, how old am I? On your Twitter handle, uh, <laughs> on your Twitter feed, a, a picture that scared me. Very badly. Because you think, oh, well, I'll go for a swim. I'll be perfectly safe. I mean, I've seen coral snakes. I've seen, like, very deadly snakes in the water around with Sundays. And I suppose some of those poisonous snakes in the world live in the water. I'm sure you know. Mm -hmm. But this was a snake that had come out of the murky depths of the green fresh water and had a catfish in its mouth. <gasps> a, a whole catfish. And, and it's, it's not a little fish. It's like a, what, how long? A, a foot long? 30 centimeters long? Uh, something like that? It was, sure. It's, sure. <laughs> and, uh, does this happen? This, like, suddenly a, a snake will lunge out of the water and take an entire fish? From the water? How is that different than going to a buffet right here in the southeastern United States and just loading up on all these catfish? It happens all the time. Snake there are snakes in your cafes? <laughs> I am never going to Alabama. <laughs> it's natural, natural predation. Don't think you can take out I'm, Americans. I'm sure, there, I'm sure there are, but that's not exactly what I meant. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, there's, we have all kinds of water snakes. They live in the water. What mm. do you expect them to eat? You know, They're going to eat fish. They're going to eat frogs. I just All kinds think of stuff. Things smaller than you. Like, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big mammal, and I normally don't go for things bigger than me because they will kick me up and down the street. So I assumed that a snake that was, it was kind of it was a decent-sized snake, I thought it would go for smaller things. I didn't realize it would mm -hmm. go for something that is wider than its body. You know, like it's, it was a big catfish. To me, it's a big catfish. Snakes are really impressive. Uh, we, we mentioned it before. How does this animal make do without any arms and legs? It's, it can't manipulate prey. It can't tear it apart. It just has to swallow it whole. So it does have some pretty unique adaptations, particularly the structure of the jaw. It can kind of unhinge its jaw to allow for a large prey to go down. <laughs> You've probably seen pictures of snakes after big meals. They do not look comfortable. They look really full, uh, and that is the case. And after that, a snake will probably just go hide underground and digest for a few days, if not a week, but they do have this really great ability to unhinge their jaw, expand their chest, take in these large prey, and then hide for a while to digest it, and hopefully another predator doesn't come by and mess so, with them at the time. So mm. let's say a great big snake eats like a suckling pig. 
and you get that sort of like this actually happens, doesn't it? You get that comic book bulge in the snake's body. It does. Um, it does. Do you, do, does it know how fat it is? Like if it tries to go down a hole, <laughs> yes. does it get stuck? Is it self-conscious? Is that, is that what you're asking? <laughs> Not so much does it worry that it's got a belly that stretches all the way around it to its back. But other snakes say it's glowing. Oh, you're glowing. You're glowing. If, if it if it's trying to hide underground, does it go into like a snake hole? And does, if, if so, does it get stuck? Because it's like, oh, wait a second. I've got like a bulge, <laughs> like a plug. Uh, <laughs> maybe, yeah. I, I don't see why that would not happen. A snake probably trying to get... In its usual hiding hole, it might not be able to fit in. Maybe it'll crawl off somewhere else. I've seen snakes stuck in chain link fences and erosion netting, so they do get stuck in those kinds of things. All right. So, unlike like a foraging animal, they don't have to like hunt and eat every day, do they? They 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 sort of eat once for a long time. Yeah, it's true. As mammals, we have this really fast engine inside of us. It's it's our warm blooded metabolism, and we've got to feed the fire, keep the engine going all the time. So that's why we're always eating. Mm. And yeah, that's the... my excuse. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's my... Exactly right. Well done. Do you really need to go back for thirds? I'm a mammal, I'm a mammal. Warm-blooded mammal. Get him away. I'm going to that babery that's full of snakes. <laughs> I'm... Stand back. I'm metabolizing. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, please. The, the, uh, yeah, your engine's running out of fuel. But for ectothermic animals, we don't use cold-blooded anymore to refer to these animals because they're often warmer than we are and can actually stay at a, a temperature with more regularity than we do. Oh. But they do it by positioning their body in relation to the environment and they're regulating their, their temperature that way, letting the sun heat them up. Right. So they're not responsible for keeping the engine going at such a high speed all the time, mm. so they don't need to eat as much fuel. Right, okay. I heard something about crocodiles. They can run like the blazes. Like they jump out of the water and run after you. And, and they, they, they put on an incredible burst of speed. But if they have to run for like 80 meters, then they die. That's, <laughs> they just run out of, they've got not, not, they don't have enough energy right. to run that quick, that fast. That quick, that fast? Quick, that fast, yes. That's the quick and the fast. <laughs> the, they don't have enough energy to sustain oh, okay. long distance running at yeah, all. Yeah, they're sprinters. They're, they're yeah. lunge animals, not, yeah. not, um, yeah, not, not long distance runners. Runners. Fair enough. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and it's easier for smaller crocodiles. They do this gait called a gallop they can use to move around. I think it becomes harder as the crocodile becomes larger and fatter and, mm. and more sluggish. Then they, just, then they just wait for you to stick your nose near the waterhole. Exactly. I, just make a mistake. That's it. One error. That's it. Your last one. It's okay. I had Circle a, of life. I went to a crocodile farm where, where the safety was basically the same mesh link that you get on the side of tennis courts. <laughs> and I had, and these this croc rushed the fence, because it climbs slowly out of the water. I'm like, look, 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 there it is! Oh my god, the miracle of nature! And then it just thrashed its tail and just crossed like four meters. It like bang and hit the fence. And my girlfriend at the time, she basically levitated and hovered back from the fence. And I'm standing there, less than a meter from this two and a half meter long predator, gripping into the fence, desperately trying to eat me. And I feel, and I hear this or sense this thrashing. Th- through the long grass and the water mm. off to the left of it. And all I can think at that moment is, let's see, on the sign it said that there was a two and a half metre long one and a four metre long one in here. <laughs> and then I ran and never looked back. <laughs> the little one was just distracting That's you. right. Yeah. Oh, look yeah. at me. Clever at- girl. <laughs> <laughs> Crocodiles are actually really intelligent. There was a neat study that came out but within the last year. They eat birds. Birds are a big part of their prey. And during the nesting season, birds are going to be moving around looking for sticks to build their nests. 
And they did this research. I think it was in a semi-natural area. I think it was a crocodile farm, but a big swamp. And they found that crocodiles would just kind of swim around collecting sticks on their snout <laughs> so that the birds would fly down and then they would grab them. <laughs> that's, that's, oh, that's fantastic. That's going to be, one day I'm going to be near a river and I'm going to look over and there's going to be like an Apple computer just floating <laughs> on the, like, oh, a MacBook Air, I want one of those. And I'll climb oh, into the water. Boom. Yeah. That'd, be, that'd be the end of me. It's like that time you almost got uh, eaten by that coyote. That very wily coyote. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but he managed to paint it. In the end, he painted a tunnel into the rock and he ran into it. Oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> That's how I got away from him. Art. It was just oh, art was okay. useless and I managed to... Anyway, forget it. It's, a, it's all very silly. Are, are snakes, are they violent predators that are going to come for you at night? Let's just get it out there. Let's just, let's just say with all yeah. the audience... How much right terror now, should we feel yeah, in like, advance? What, at the snake terror level, where should we be right now? Let's I'm willing to go on the record and say... A very limited amount of terror oh. is warranted. Even in Australia, I mean, I understand in Alabama where you have lots of really, really like safe, nice snakes. In Australia, mm-hmm. we have like nine of the world's most terrifying snakes. Like, just even if they look at you, you die. Just, you know, just, just happen to just, just cock an eyebrow and you're dead. So I'm just. I mean, should it's we... so tricky. <laughs> yeah, we we do have it pretty easy in the southeastern United States because I mentioned we have the pit vipers. They mm-hmm. look really distinct. These are the rattlesnakes, the cottonmouths, the copperheads, and we also have the coral snake, which is an elastic with bright yellow, red, and black colors. Now, in Australia, all the tips and tricks and everything I tell the homeowners in southeastern United States, I would never say that in Australia because <laughs> all, everything looks alike, but yeah. one will kill you, one won't, yeah. and you really kind of have to know your stuff and better safe than sorry down there. Uh, what are the tips that you give to Americans? There's only half a dozen venomous snakes in the southeast U.S. They're really distinct. And I tell people that they should learn the wildlife around them. It can be fascinating stuff, and it really helps you appreciate the landscapes. And, you know, people move to the forest. They like the woods and the trees, but they're terrified of snakes, and that's part of it. So just a little bit of effort. You can be pretty comfortable identifying 90% of the snakes that you're ever going to see. And just keep your distance from the ones that are dangerous. But as you said, in Australia, they seem to have taken on the idea that mottled brown is a good color to be. And, and, and they all look alike. And you just don't know which one's going to be a murder tube and which one will be your friend. Now, I can't speak for an Australian herpetologist. They might say it's really easy. Hmm. But I know I would be intimidated if I'm just walking around and a snake crawls. In between my legs <laughs> while I'm walking. That's just an everyday here in, in suburban <laughs> suburban Australia. <laughs> Luckily, we can climb into a kangaroo's pouch and escape That's most of the time. Yes, I've heard that. I've heard that. It's a natural defense. <laughs> that's what they're there for. That's, that's, that's why they evolve. It's a, it's a symbiotic yeah. relationship. <laughs> what are we t- this, this used to be a science podcast. I'm sure it used to be a science podcast. <laughs> so now, as I remember, there are three types of snakes, and I think you've touched on them. So there's the there's the constrictor, and then there's two types of venomous one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like an adder. No, wait, an asp, an adder. Is it vipers and adders? Is that you've got the vipers? Yep. You've got the elapids, and then you've got pretty much everything else. And you can you can divide them up more finely than that, but mm. but that's a pretty big distinction. Now the vipers, they're the ones with the retractable fangs. Uh, they have the heat sensing glands. That's why they call them the pit vipers. They often have a, a vaguely triangular shaped head. Oh, so they've the got pits in their head that sense the heat. 
like or, the Predator. Or they live in pits. Just like the Predator. No, they don't live in pits. Yep. They have pits on their face. They have pits on their face. Yes. They don't live in yep. pits. Right. Which sounds like something yes. out of a Dungeons and Dragons book. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Sorry. Okay, good. Uh, okay, yeah. They have pits in their faces, yes. Acne scars. Like, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm, let's, let's, let's just keep on talking. They have, they have pits in their face. They can I can edit him out. <laughs> Justine, that's, that's, that's fine. <laughs> so and that's, the, that's the vipers. It's retractable fangs. Detect heat, and then you have the yes, elapids, and these are the things like the coral snakes, the sea snakes, the cobras. Those are all elapids, and and they have a different kind of venom too. The vipers, generally speaking, have hemotoxic blood, uh, hemotoxic venom, which affects the blood, mm. and many elapids, at least the ones in this hemisphere, have a neurotoxic venom, <laughs> which affects your nervous system. Of course so, they do. Yeah. Now, and, and, ooh, and this, so this is why in America, all the stories are, if you're bitten by a snake, to suck the blood out. But in Australia, yeah. it, which is also wrong, Greg is shaking his head and quite rightly, this is a, but, but in Australia, there was, there was never thought to work mm. because most of our snakes, they affect the, uh, the, the lymphatic system. And so you're supposed to do a pressure bandage around it, which allows the blood to flow through, but not your lymphatic system to flow. Mm. Yes? No? Uh, Greg look, so, to me, he's looking at me like he has no idea what I'm talking about. You're, but you're the expert. <laughs> okay, you're going to put me on the spot. Yes. And let me, let me say a disclaimer is that I don't want to give anyone medical advice. Because <laughs> I, we. I'm not a medical doctor. That's, that's I get asked this all the time. Um, <laughs> no one but, comes to but, our podcast for sensible medical <laughs> advice, let me assure you. What you said is generally true. The, first of all, don't suck out any venom. Mm. Go to the hospital. That is what you should be focusing on. But it's true that it used to be the advice that you suck out the venom and put a tourniquet on and don't do that. Don't put ice on it either because what those things do is they slow the blood flow around the bite. The venom gets really concentrated and it can really damage uh, the tissue uh, right. where the bite occurs. And so you actually do want the venom to disperse a little bit. Right, okay. From what I, from what I understand... It's probably a different strategy with the elapids. I'm not as familiar with it, but I have heard that tourniquets can be used a little bit more effectively in that case. It's not because a tourniquet isn't that just where you wrap a single knotted piece around it to stop the blood yes. flowing. But I, yeah. I think most of the stuff that they tell you in Australia is a pressure bandage, which is you wrap the whole limb up in a in a, in a tight fitting bandage, basically. Uh, yeah, ironically. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and that yeah prevents the surface layer of. Motion Let's of, just say we just don't know. We don't know. We and, all I know is stay calm and get to a hospital. That sounds like a good advice to me. Stay calm, yeah. get to a hospital. And Can't go wrong. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They're medical professionals and they will bandage everything they need to do and start to better will not pay your medical bills. But just, just putting it out there. Now, I also heard some information. It's really good oh, no. to have you on because... Uh, <laughs> Dan's also had some crazy stuff he wants to throw at you. All this terrible stuff. But I have information about how to avoid snakes. That was published in a book in the mid '90s, so 20 years ago. Right. Modern snakes but are much cooler now. If you if you're going through snake areas, then they recommended that you should stamp fairly heavily on the ground because the snakes can sense the vibration and they don't really want anything to do with you. So it gives them plenty of time to get out of your way. Yeah, I, I could go along with that for some of those active snakes, some of those elapids, some of those active predators that are crawling around. Yeah, they have nothing to gain by something large coming at them so they'll probably take off mm. a lot of other snakes rely on their camouflage to avoid detection mm. so it, those would probably just stand still and hope hope you don't see them 
Uh, and hope you don't stand on them either, I suppose. Oh, no. or, or stomp on them. That's, oh, I'm yeah. getting chills. Yeah, stomp on them. This, this is one of those, oh, God. It's one of those things uh, in once against Australia, going through rainforests and things like that, they always say to, if you step over a log, step on the log first. Like, don't step right over the log. Because if you do that, then suddenly your legs just... If you're a snake, just doing your own thing, hiding under the log, suddenly this pink tube appears in the sky and slams down. You're like, death to the tube! And you attack. <laughs> but if you stand on top of the log, they go, whoa, something's going on. And they're kind of aware that, you know, things are about to happen. So they don't don't upset snakes. That's what, that's what I, I've I have heard similar advice but for a different reason i agree on the whole pink tube coming down on a snake but i think if you step on the log then you can kind of step away and kind of leap away from the edge of the log ah, right. and the snakes it's a great hiding spot for a snake because they sit right next to the log and then any small mammals that are crawling around minding their own business they're mm. going to hit the log and just kind of follow around it so it's a great ambush spot mm, i see there you go so if you're a small mammal, the advice is don't go near logs. That's always good. Thank you or to yes. us, lots of our small, small mammals who are listening right now. Uh, <laughs> it's a key demographic. Okay. So let's, now we have to <laughs> now we get to start off today better. Loved by small mammals around the world. I think that our, uh, our listeners would be happy to be described as small mammals. And most of them are. Most of them are. Okay. So now we've, we've talked about snakes, a little bit about crocodiles, basically how they're little terrifying monsters that can come and get you in the night, That's, which is great but, no, but right. Fiona, here's done yeah great <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but in all, all seriousness though they're not really I mean, they're just trying to do their own thing i mean they're just trying to live if you understand what they are you're going to have a pretty good time with snakes and seeing them and, and enjoying them in the natural habitat just don't touch them i think that's the thing i've learned today it's good advice good advice <laughs> excellent so now of course something much more terrifying yeah, now that we've talked about how they're not monsters yes <laughs> not monsters at all i think it's time for the first ever Expert-driven crypto zoo. Sasquatch or Bigfoot, who is who? It's all going down at the crypto zoo. Now, wow, great! That's, I know. Well, welcome who's to. Get, who, who's joining us? <laughs> it's you, David. It's oh. you. <laughs> That's right. So we're going to talk about. We've talked on crypto zoo about many weird things throughout the many years of the podcast. And this is the first time we've had an outsider come in and to outsiders and talk about... <laughs> sorry, an outsider? Outsiders. You like you I know. He, he came through giant wooden gates with flames <laughs> along the gateposts. <laughs> outsider, come and teach us your reptilian ways. <laughs> anyway, which is probably good. We, I want to talk about the king of monsters. I want to talk about Godzilla. The king of monsters. Mm -hmm. And we've got you on, David, because you're a reptile expert, and it's scaly, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> well, there's they, the first question. Would you, as a reptile expert, yes. identify Godzilla as being reptilian? I would. And why? Well, just look at it. He looks like a walking, talking lizard, right? Look at those plates on his back. It kind of reminds me of a stegosaurus, which aren't really reptiles, but mm. they're reminiscent, reminiscent of them. It's green. It's green. It comes from the yeah. It comes from the water. I mean, so, what else is it going to be? Okay, so he's well in the nineteen ninety six the Matthew Broderick version. It was an iguana that got nuked by the French. That's what he was. Mm. Well, she was. It was a she, I think. Ugh. So it's certainly lady. <laughs> hang on, hang on. There was a noise there. There was a noise there. That was a noise of appreciation. I'm sure. Oh, did did I say that out loud? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. 
not really a big fan of, uh, hey, it was worth them giving a shot. I don't hold it against them, but I don't really think of that as a Godzilla movie. It looked like kind of a Tyrannosaurus iguana stomping around. I, and now, I wasn't I, feeling it. In that film, <laughs> I, I think, because it, it laid eggs, but yes. there was no mate for it. That's right. It was, yes, it was, um, parthenogenic. Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there, are there any reptiles that do that? There are. Most famously, a few years ago, a Komodo dragon did it. And uh, it wouldn't take too much imagination to think a Komodo dragon was part of the influence of Godzilla. But, uh, yeah, a wide variety of animals can produce offspring on their own. It's really kind of a fascinating awful process. Mm. And Komodo dragons are just horrible things. So the idea that you could leave one alone (laughs) in an island and come back and there's lots more Mm. of them with a grudge, like you put it on the Mm. island and it's like, I will get you and my children. What children? You've got no mate. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha, die on an island. And then come back 30 years later and it's like waiting with you. You're like, oh. I shouldn't have, you know, yeah. It's just, I have weird dreams, you may have noticed. It's like things that worry me. Upsetting. This, this, this is one of them. <laughs> so, okay, so we've decided that, let's get back to Forget Komodo Dragon. Let's, let's, and let's, we're just going to focus on the modern, the 2014 Godzilla movie, for those listening in the future. That's what we're focusing on. The one with Brian Cranston for six seconds and, and kick ass, kick ass in it as well. And, uh, yes, basically that, that one. You know what I'm talking about here. So, who was in the movie more, Brian Cranston or Godzilla? That's a good question. I'm going to say, Ken Watanabe. That's my, <laughs> that's my guess. I'll pick Bo- C. Okay. Uh, it, it's a trick question because it was Brian Cranston in the Godzilla costume. Oh, <laughs> so wow. uh, that's why he couldn't, that's why he had to leave so early in the oh, movie. It's a, trick. it's a trick the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, that's the movie we're the, talking about. Now, uh, the alternate ending, he takes off the mask. Right? <laughs> Now, uh, we've already established that reptiles are quite good at swimmers. Mm. So that's what Godzilla does. He does a lot of swimming. He does. but Most uh, of the movie. But he, <laughs> is it common for a reptile, especially a big reptile, to get around on their, their hind legs? Yes. Uh, well, no. I, I did want to touch on something you said about Godzilla being a, a, a swimmer. Yeah. And you could see him swimming through the ocean. He's kind of reminiscent of a crocodile, right? His, mm. his upper body is pretty still... And then the tail is just kind of going back and forth, propelling him through the water. Mm-hmm. And I could buy that. But then when you see the full, full-on Godzilla later, it, he kind of has this really narrow tail instead of this com- laterally compressed tail, mm. which you would suggest from a, a swimming animal. So that was kind of something I would have preferred that they switched, give him more of a crocodile tail. Oh, so a crocodile tail is, it looks kind of vertical, like a big blade. Exactly. It's big and it's Mm. muscular, and it really needs to be a strong muscle to move this large animal around, Mm. not this wispy little snake tail. Mm. Crack people. Now, also, his hips, Godzilla's hips, if he was swimming in the water with his hips facing backwards, like like his legs just hanging out the back, but then Mm -hmm. he stands up like we do. I I had a problem with that, too, because his hip structure didn't look right to me. It didn't look like he could get his legs all the way backwards. So I was wondering if if that's something people had noticed before about that Godzilla. Like it, it was a little off. Yeah, he had really huge thighs. He too, did, right? Yeah, he had muscular yeah. thighs. He really, he did a lot of stairmaster. That's what I'm saying. Like he just and, and you wouldn't expect them to build up those giant thighs if swimming is their primary mode of transportation. Mm. Yeah. 
And so oh, so yeah. he must walk then somewhere. And we discovered then that that Godzilla must walk around. Walk? He, do, he does a robotize. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he steps. He just steps on a volcano. Uh, so, but that's Monster Island. We know he comes from Monster Island. Or he lives on Monster Island or he visits Monster Island. Anyway, it's a good name for the island because it's full of monsters. That's a, you know, that's a good that name. That was very handy that yeah, that yeah, happened yeah, yeah, that so way. Where is he? He's on Monster Island. Okay, so, so <laughs> it's over there. Well, we didn't touch on Monster Island in the 2014 movie. It kind of suggests that he was just from the bottom of the ocean, right? Oh, and okay. I, I guess it could make sense since there's going to be so much pressure down there. If he's walking on his hind feet, at the bottom of the ocean, maybe that would create some of this big thigh muscle oh, action. Like, like when those people uh, who want to build up their muscle, they jog through the, the ocean. Yes. Like yes, through, the, exactly. through the shallows because it's more resistance on the, on the right. legs. Okay. Yes, so, that would explain the small uh, arms too. Now, so he's a... He's a <laughs> it's just swimming arms. He's, he's a very large... Let's say, okay, let's call him a reptile. Let's just say okay, he's some sort of reptile, and he's very, very, very big. Now, see, that's, that might answer that question. Would he have to eat a lot? That's, that's a question for us. Like, would he have to be eating humans all the time? He didn't eat a single person no, in that movie. No, what no, is, it's very sad. What's up with that? Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Just, you, just, you, you think he'd just be like pushing it back like Pop Rocks, just like yum, 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 yum. <laughs> it's just... Anyway. <sighs> so if he, if he is a reptile, then he probably wouldn't need to eat too often because of what we were talking about earlier regarding the metabolisms of these animals. Mm. And so the larger animals, if they're warm-blooded, they really need to eat a lot, but they tend to eat really small things like blue whales, for example, they have the baleen, and they're eating really small shrimp and krill mm. and all that. Mm. But Godzilla isn't built like that. He's got teeth. He has teeth, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, so you'd expect him to take on larger prey. Now, we can look at the sperm whale. Sperm whale is a large mammal that uh, eats squid, mm. and, and they're different from the baleen whales in that they have the actual teeth. So I would expect Godzilla to be eating large things like, oh, maybe even whales or squid. I don't think he'd be able to catch enough fish to really make it worth his while. Yeah, his mouth didn't seem... He, he's not like a, a lunge fisherman. He's not going to like... His mouth no. didn't open. He couldn't dislocate his jaw. We didn't see him dislocate mm. his jaw. Or, yeah. And he couldn't catch stuff with those little hands because yeah. he couldn't get into his mouth. No, no that's, <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah. There is an interesting potential. So there's the alligator snapping turtle of the southeastern United States. They'll open their mouths while they're sitting at the bottom, and their tongue looks like a little worm. And that they'll wiggle it, and fish will come in, and then they'll grab the fish. So yeah. I don't know if we got a view of Godzilla's tongue, but maybe <laughs> it looks like something appetizing to sea creatures. <laughs> I love the idea that it's like it's like oh that tongue looks like a it looks like a whole school of krill, like a, a giant whale just swims into the cave. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> but, but even I think a whale. That's the most reasonable explanation. A, yeah. But he, he, I'm just trying to get the size in my head. Even a, a, I suppose a big whale would would fit in his mouth. I mean, he had a big mouth, but he wasn't that big. He wasn't. He wasn't. I mean, size of a. He's size. gigantic. Yeah, but, but, what I mean, are you what? talking about? Well, you know, I, 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 he was. I've seen bigger. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Pacific Rim. In Pacific Rim, the kaiju in Pacific Rim, I think, were bigger than Godzilla in this one. I think. So you're saying that Godzilla was eating kaiju from no, Pacific no, no, Rim? No, 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 no. Stay with me, stay with me. I'm just trying to say that, that, that I can actually picture in my mind Godzilla holding a large whale in his mouth. That would make sense to me. So I'm as, picturing it right now. Isn't the best, isn't imagination a wonderful thing? Hey, listeners, everyone think, picture Godzilla holding a whale. Now, take that, ecologists. Now, he's not, he's not cold-blooded. What was the word you used? Ectothermic. Ectothermic. Right. Now, he yeah. would have to regulate his temperature... 
but he's massive. Yeah. So it would take ages. Is there is there a limit to how big a creature can be before that would stop working? Yeah. Yeah, and if you look at the marine reptiles, they often have alternative strategies. The leatherback sea turtle is the largest turtle in the world. It's a marine animal, and they kind of defy the rules, and they kind of have a almost a warm-blooded metabolism uh, to help them with those temperatures. You can look at things like marine iguanas. They're another animal that spends a lot of time in salt water. They will come out, and then they'll spend a lot of time basking to warm up their body temperature. Mm. Mm. Well, Godzilla, so, in the movie Godzilla Bass, that he had a big fight and he lay down on the city and he just went to sleep for a day. Is that what he was doing? That's what he was doing. <laughs> he was basking. Everyone thought he was damaged. He wasn't damaged. He's was like, I'm going to sleep here. What are you going to do about it? And he just lay down. Take a look at those plates on the back mm. on his back. Mm. Mm. Those could be little kind of solar panels to collect the warmth. Oh, and, that's and, great. So yeah. he puts blood through the plates and he warms up his, his uh, blood through the plate. That's exactly what he does. And that would get warmth to his internal system. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. that, that is clever. So, and, and that means underwater, all you have to do is find like a deep thermal vent, like a deep water thermal, like, like a volcano under the, under the water, and just sort of back up to it. And just, as long as he gets his plates near it, he'll be fine. It's true. It's not totally cold at the bottom of the ocean, yeah, is it? There's, there's some, there are some big, nasty areas down there. There's a lot of volcanoes under the, under the water, mm. especially around Japan, which is where he seems to come from, or well, that area anyway. Mm. It's all coming together. Oh, so it's almost like it's, an, it's, it's it makes sense. <laughs> what? <laughs> all right. So, so we, we, we can see he can heat his body. He can feed on whales, which I just love. I just love. <laughs> because of his krill tongue. It's krill tongue. That's right. It, which we can't. We can either confirm nor deny. Though I know right now there's a listener going. He ice in frame at one hour and twenty four. You can see clearly his tongue doesn't look like krill. And I say to that person, bro, it looks like a whole bunch of seals. <laughs> Wait a minute. There, there's a listener. Yeah, but no, no. I mean, no, no, definitely not. Definitely, sorry. Oops. Almost gave the game away. <laughs> so, okay, so we've got, we got the blood and we've got his food out of control, down. Now, the question, of course, is behavior. Let's talk about his behavior because he okay. just seemed to... There's these, these monsters that turned up. They seemed to be radioactive or something, and they attracted him. He came to, to see them like he was interested. Yeah, now that's, why? Yeah, why? Why would he care? Like, it's, it can't, he's not intelligent as far as I'm aware. Like, he wasn't, you know... It just, I don't know, he didn't seem that smart. Uh, and he just. Yeah. He didn't take a boat. He swam the entire <laughs> he way. He swam the whole way. He That's didn't right. do any math. That's right. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> That's right. Actually, the people who are really stupid in that one were the, were the military. Because I love the fact they just, they kind of, they. <laughs> They go in a phalanx with it. They kind of just they, they they go in convoy with Godzilla. Like, oh, that dangerous thing! Let's get really close with our giant boats. And you're like, no, back away! You have missiles. Don't be anywhere near it. Like nowadays, we can fire a missile hundreds of kilometers. You don't need to be anywhere near the thing to shoot it anymore. We've gone beyond you know, sh- looking down the sights at it. Mm, especially when there's ships on either side of it. Yeah. Like if it, if it starts to mess up, what do you do? You fire weapons and <laughs> you miss it, and you shoot each other. And that's what happened. That's what they did. It's very bizarre. Anyway, look, I'm not here to talk about military tactics. I'm a civilian. What yeah. would I know? We want to know what was Godzilla doing. Yeah. So, so why would he be attracted to other monsters? That's the question. And 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 like, especially monsters he didn't see. Is he is he one of a kind? Is it it's only one of them, or is it like a whole species of them underwater? Well, that's a question that I don't think that the producers or the screen screenwriters really contemplated before the movie. Mm. Why would they be fighting? Why would Godzilla be? looking for these creatures in the very beginning we see that they're 
the mutos, right? The, that they're kind of parasites, mm. and they apparently killed something older than Godzilla in the beginning. So that is not something that I would think 2014 Godzilla would be interested in spending time with. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so he'd oh. want to avoid parasites, so, if oh, anything. He, yeah. so, so, oh, there was, that's right. There was, there was a big skeleton under the ground they discovered. Yeah, and the, and the one scientist said, is this him? And Ken said, no, this is much older. Oh, maybe. Maybe it's, it's Godzilla's dad, and this is a revenge mm. story. <laughs> Oh, this is yeah, the, I like where you're going with so this. So this is like, it's like he's, he's just a, he's a young Godzilla out in the town. He's just doing his thing, and he gets a message. Your dad's dead. And he's like, no, <laughs> why wasn't I home? Aunt Baru, Uncle Owen, I should have been there. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait, I'm sorry, I'm getting mixed up. Mixed could, up. could Godzilla be territorial? A, snake, uh, a reptile's territorial, that's the question. Good, hmm. good question. So territoriality in animals usually refers to intraspecific behavior. That's basically they have territory that they're defending from others of their own species. Mm. Now, when you see different species interacting, it's usually some other kind of interaction going on. And in territoriality, if we want to go by the formal definition, they need to be defending some resource. It could be food. It could be mates. It could be habitat. Thermal and vents. <laughs> What's that yeah, like? exactly. Thermal vents. <laughs> Thermal vents. Yeah. That's very true, yes. Hot tubs. But that's not and what was happening with these mutos. No, no. No, it didn't seem like there was any resource. It was for a while I thought, well, maybe they're both after those radioactive missiles. But we didn't really see Godzilla eating them. We just saw the mutos eating them. Yeah. Uh, then I yeah. thought maybe they were eating people, but again, no people were eaten <laughs> no, during no. the filming of this movie. Especially not especially not Kickass's wife and the cherub child is like, Oh, please eat them. Eat them. <laughs> eat them. There's really not gonna be a lot of nutritional value in something so tiny. No, It'd be like us throwing back ants. But, but ants can be tasty though. Like they they can be really kind of No, they really can't. The formic acid is That's what I'm saying. Just... It's that bite. It's that oh mm, bite on the tongue. It must be an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's not territorial territory. We're getting hard. Oh, this is difficult now. So Godzilla, yeah. for some reason, he came. Now, maybe, hang on, here's an idea. Maybe, because you touched on the nuclear waste. The mutos were eating the nuclear waste. Maybe Godzilla can't process the nuclear waste, but he can process it once it's gone through a muto. So the mute, muto is like the herbivore, and Godzilla is the carnivore. That would be, I would buy that, but what did he do to the mutos at the end of the movie? Spoiler alert. Uh, made friends. They he were... did not eat them. Oh, he didn't, did he? he no, he um, just killed them. He killed them. Yeah, he killed them good. Well, I mean, how do you eat, <laughs> how do you eat radiation, though? Could you absorb it off them? Maybe maybe he was mm-hmm. absorbing it from like they, like he was a big plant. <laughs> <laughs> like they, they've got to eat the radiation and then expel it yes. via their skin or something. We have to try, we have to try and get it back into real-world biology. So are right. there any well, reptiles um, that absorb radiation? The thing is, they're... <laughs> I don't think so. They're generally it's bacteria and stuff. Solar radiation. Oh, very. Oh, I like uh, that one. Oh, so he's basking uh, again. So he's he goes, basking. So he's basking in the radioactive. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. He, the, oh, because we're thinking very human here and we're thinking very uh, visible light as basking. But of course, there are lots of different wavelengths. Maybe the radioactive material allowed the muto to put out high gamma rays or something like that. And that's what he was basking in. Mm. He was basking in the gamma rays they were putting out. That could be it. I could buy it. I could buy it. But, you know, when they were fighting, it didn't just seem more personal than I want to get warm. 
Yeah. Um, or maybe he's a rogue. I mean, maybe that's why we've only seen one of him because you sometimes see these rogue animals like bears or sharks well, that, 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 but they leave their culture and or they leave their env- their normal environment yes. and they become a problem for humans because they suddenly like a, a shark becomes a man eater which is mm. very rare mm. or a bear suddenly discovers that breaking into the cafe is That's much right. easier than stealing, chasing stealing gear. the picnic baskets they, there you go yeah <laughs> yogi yeah. is a rogue bear <laughs> He would have been put down years ago. That's a different podcast for a different time. Yogi, threat or menace? So possibly like that that Smokey the Bear, obviously a rogue bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Needs to be put down. So possibly possibly Godzilla is a rogue. Zilla. Roguezilla. Roguezilla. Yeah. Mm. The, The rest of the Godzilla are just kind of hanging out in nuclear cooling channels and Taking their radiation that way. But this one's going to be insane. He's a mad one. Mad one. Yes. yes. Or he's like Doctor Who. Like, they've got the the, the rest of his species are like, no, no, we don't get involved. We don't get involved. We're very intelligent and we just hide and we just, we're old and we're wise. And it's like a young rogue Time Lord slash Godzilla. And he's like, no, I have to go into the world and have adventures. I'm pulling the pin on this segment. This is. I'm putting this down no, no, as a failure. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't, I don't want to end it. I don't want to end it. I don't want to end it. Okay. I, I, I really want to kind of. I want to done a few more things out here. So, so sorry, get back to his behaviours. Because um, Ken, Ken Watanabe, he yeah. did the very famous line, "Let them fight." And it was just, yeah. and that was his thing. That was pretty much his only line. He looked confused. He stared. Looked confused. And they said, "Let them fight." Now. Why would he want to let them fight? That just seems like a really dumb idea. So that's we've got to tie that in. Why would fighting be the best way to deal with the problem? Because they could, you know, nuke them. We we have nuclear weapons. We do have that. Ken was pretty confident in Godzilla, rightly, as it turns out. But I think he had some of the humanitarian concerns about nuking Las Vegas or San Francisco or wherever they were. Mm-hmm. And presumably a giant three-way monster fight would cause fewer human casualties than a <laughs> nuclear bomb. Well, maybe it was... You hear that every day. <laughs> maybe it was from an ecology point of view. I mean, you're an ecologist, and if there was a, 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 a menace reptile, your first <laughs> instinct probably isn't, hey, let's destroy it. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think uh, he wanted to see the show. Clearly, same as all of us. <laughs> he had better seats than we did, too. So if you've got some sort of rogue reptile in, like, a suburban area... And you're called in. Uh, what's what's your cause? What's your plan of action? Let them fight. Let them fight. <laughs> what a great interview! That was fantastic. I always love it when we get an interviewee who who is knowledgeable, knows what they're talking about, and puts up with our rubbish. I like an interviewee who listens to the ridiculous things that I've learned over the years and goes, "Well, that's not right. <laughs> no, I can debunk that." <laughs> It's, Where on earth did you pick that up from? I also love the fact that he went, oh, yes, I, I work with uh, South, Southern State American snakes. Yours are much more terrifying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hooray! Australia wins again! Woo! Dangerous snakes, ahoy! Uh, in our houses and all everywhere. No, that's fine. Uh, so thank you to David Steen. Uh, I, I do strongly suggest everyone goes have a look at his website, his blog. It's actually lots of really useful information and uh, not just much talking about Godzilla, actually useful information. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. And the other voice is, once again, as always, Greg at smartenough.org. 
you can follow us on Twitter at SE2KB. Or why not just look it up on that Facebook thing that all the kids find so exciting? Or or are we are we on ELO yet? We are not on ELO. Are we? Oh. I am. You follow can... me on ELO. <laughs> but we, we can, you can you can invite SE2KB to ELO. I don't you? know whether you can. You can invite people. That's the whole party get on. You have to invite people. I'm not sure whether it's just for people or whether it's for entities or. I don't know. Look, it's cor- a mess. Corporations are people, therefore podcasts are people. That, oh. seems, that seems like it fits. All right. <sighs> anyway. You have been listening to SEGKB at smartenough.org. <laughs> rate us at iTunes. Definitely. Please, please rate us. Uh, people, and also subscribe. I've discovered that sometimes people listen to us and they don't actually subscribe to us on iTunes. That, those things help us as well. So please make sure you hit subscribe on the webpage. Are that, you not subscribing? I know. Come on, darling listeners. Subscribe. Come on. You'll miss them. Yes. It, it makes it so easy to listen to these things. <laughs> Absolutely. So please subscribe. Definitely subscribe. You get your little mobile phone out and then press the podcast button and just go bloop, bloop, subscribe. Dan, being our coding monkey, has actually redone on the web page so you can go in there instead of having that ridiculous forum full of spam and and, and Russian brides and Russian brides now we have a, a different system where the comments appear beneath the actual episodes and this means you can go dear Dan I hate you and put it right on the front page where he'll definitely see it and it'll break his heart don't do that actually because <laughs> I know our listeners will so uh, yeah so the whole site has been recoded yes it's now faster and stronger and hopefully a little bit more dependable it's players and whether things will work on different devices Fantastic. you can c- comment on various episodes which is pretty much how people were using the forum yes that's right no, no right there there was a, occasionally people would start discussing some miscellaneous thing in the miscellaneous mm, forum mm. no one discussed the production of no. podcasts or yeah. sketches or anything in the other one so it's like well this is how we're using it so I, I have to adjust to how you guys want to use it fantastic I would like to do a quick call out to my brother Steve Steve Beeston who was doing a fair bit along with Greg a lot of the moderation of mm. those forums if you were Ben Hammond it was done by me or Steve or Steve it was a, it was a ridiculous <laughs> amount of mm. futzing around mm. in there so they're gone you can still go back through the archives there is a link on the website at the bottom of the page to go back to the archived forums but uh, they were locked so you can't touch nothing there but you can now comment on each individual episode on the website wonderful oh technology isn't an amazing thing magic and as we always like to say let them fight If my boss ever found out, you're like, oh, how exciting. I'm taking an enormous risk (laughs) talking to you idiots. I may change my answer at the end of the hour. (laughs) Erase all of this. Um, As you keep on. Yeah, I was excited uh, about the invitation. I'm glad to do it. <laughs> I saw that on Twitter. You're like, oh my goodness, uh, smart enough to know better has asked me to, to talk on their podcast. I think I mentioned that my career could only go downhill from here, so I'm enjoying it. Oh, and it will. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> So we actually get experts like yourself uh, to come on. And... <laughs> that's what we want to hear. That's the self-doubt we love. That's, uh, that, that, that's the interviewee on the back foot that we love to uh, get information from. A sentient hermit crab yeah, can actually yeah. build whatever it wanted <laughs> yeah, to, uh, to live in. That, so that, kind of like a Dalek. Oh, like, yeah, like a transformer hermit crab. Yeah, that's right. But, Wouldn't that be the most terrifying <laughs> thing in the universe? <laughs> Just a giant, like, death machine with lasers and blades, but with that big smiley face sticking out the front. <laughs> 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 We've never... <laughs>
like sometimes with American radio, American radio is like, well, you can't say any naughty words. Australian radio, you can curse like a sailor. Well, this is a podcast. Oh, can... oh, on the podcast, you can double swear. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Oh, great. In fact, you have to try by out. law. <laughs> this is an opportunity to try out some new ones. <laughs> Get them into the general circulation. <laughs> Thank you, David. That was fantastic. I had a lot of fun. How do you feel about that? I feel great. Uh, erase it all. <laughs> erase it all. <laughs> Damn it, not again. <laughs>